0: Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is your boy, John Patrick, and I am so excited to be here tonight and so excited that you have decided to join us tonight on this podcast. It is going to be one that is going to be thought of for time to come. Uh, Just really excited about that. And a few things before we get started. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure that you go out, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and then not only subscribe to the YouTube channel, click on that little bell so that you can be notified uh, when uh, we launch new videos. I mean, of course, this is our last uh, podcast up until the first Monday in December, but if you don't mind, just go ahead and subscribe. So when we do kick it back off, you will be geared up and ready to go. And then if you haven't followed us on uh, Instagram and TikTok, make sure you go out and follow us there. We are the Dope Ass Dude on both on Instagram and TikTok. And then lastly, if you are interested in getting the Dope Ass Dude t-shirt of the month, uh, the olive green one with the gold logo on it, we still have a few of those uh, left. So there is still time for you to go out and get your. Um, there is still time for you to go out there and get your um, T-shirt of the month, but I'm really excited about tonight's podcast because this guy, I believe, is a divine uh, connection. Uh, I met him through social media, and we just, you know, we've hit it off since then. And he seems to be an extraordinary guy, and I am so excited about um, introducing him to you all tonight because anytime I speak with anyone that is impacting youth, I think that is just a true calling that a lot of us don't have. I think, and many of us have kids and we don't have that calling to lead and mentor and guide youth. So this guy, he's a phenomenal guy. He has a heart and passion for ministry. So I am really excited to introduce him to you. And I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on out here. Pastor
1: Trey, what's up, man? Hey, good evening. Good evening, brother. Thank you for the invite. I thank you for this opportunity, Brother John Patrick. Absolutely, man. You can just call
0: me John. I mean, most people call me John, John Patrick. Some people even call me Patrick. But yeah, man, you can just call me John. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited about having you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: All right, a little bit about me as I am born and raised in the New Orleans, Louisiana area. Um, 2005 Hurricane Katrina brought me to Texas by way of San Antonio. Um, I like to tell people that that was the best thing that could have ever, ever happened to me. Um, Tragedy sometimes has the ability to make you triumphant in ways that you will never understand. Um, New Orleans is a great city, it's a great place, but um, it's a very poverty stricken city. And there's really not many opportunities for young black Americans uh, to really prosper and get out there and really do some things outside of the hospitality industry or um, maybe medical field at at best. Um, so God bringing me through Katrina was was a win. You know, um, he he brought me out of there, brought me into my promised land and I've been living it up ever since. Oh, wow.
0: Wow. And I loved how you said tragedy and triumph because a lot of times, people, when we're going through the tragic moment, we don't know that or we can't see that things are working out for our good. You know, we can only see the reality and the real time of it. We don't see the future. So that is like, amazing that you said that was a triumphant moment even though it seemed and at that time when you were going through it it was very tragic so wow that, that that's pretty good so do you love texas you better love texas man and you gotta be a cowboy <laughs> fan
1: okay wait hold on now man hold on yeah, hold you on. got to be a You here Especially but I was in saints Dallas. Fans for life man saints for life well, you can take your gumbo eat himself back to New
0: Orleans and be a Saints fan. But if you're in Dallas, you got to be a Cowboy fan. You got to be I a fan. I don't know about
1: that fan. one, man.
0: <laughs> and look here, bro, I don't even watch sports. So I ain't even a Cowboy fan. So, hey, there you go. So, okay. So you came to Dallas after Katrina. And mm-hmm. then, so tell us a little bit about, because you and I, we had a talk. Mm-hmm. So I want you to tell Everybody like how did you get started in mentoring youth? Like tell us a little bit about your history.
1: <clears throat> um so I got started as in mentoring youth, believe it or not, I was a youth myself. I was about 16. Um and there was just a need in my church for young blood to kind of start kind of stepping up and doing some some things other than ushering and choir. You know the stuff that we push the kids up to do um the superintendent happened to be my great aunt and she she saw something in me and she entrusted me uh with the three to five year old class um and it 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 grew uh exponentially but not only did it grow in numbers I got I, I became this big brother kind of overnight to all of these kids you know um so It did something to me. It made me more aware of who I was and the the type of man that I needed to be to walk this Christian walk in front of these young kids. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. And that is like really, really good that your aunt saw something in you because a lot of times, especially when teenagers, people just, in many cases, can write them off a little bit Mm -hmm. because they just think that they're immature, but for her to see something in you is... I mean, that's pretty remarkable, but I definitely want to go back a little bit further based on our conversation yesterday when I think you were like in the second or the third grade and something happened in school. And before you say that, I definitely want to give a shout out to Patricia Brown, Pat Brown. I love you, Pat. Thank you for checking it out. And Inga, thank you for checking out. So, uh, Pastor Trey, tell us about when you were in elementary, because it's something that I definitely want everyone to hear.
1: So, about second to third grade, um I was in elementary school, of course, and I was diagnosed with ADHD, ADHD, ADD. Um and I was a smart kid, honor roll student, picked up stuff like this, but I, I struggled with being able to focus and on top of all of that, I had a bit of a speech impediment. I I stuttered really badly as a kid. Um so my teacher, my my, my my third grade teacher, um, <laughs> kind of wrote me, not kind of, but did write me off and, and was ready to place me in uh, special ed classes because she just didn't know how to handle me. She, she didn't know how to keep my mind focused after I would do the assignments that was given. And because I stuttered, um, she thought I had a reading problem when actually in actuality, I was in third grade reading on a sixth grade level. Um, I just couldn't always form the words that I saw on the paper. Um, so there was a conference between the teacher and my mother, and um, you know, the the recommendation went out to uh have me go into special ed classes and I remember the day and I remember my mother in that room and she was like, No, you're not putting my baby in special ed. There's nothing. That he needs to be in in special ed for. Um, from that point, my mother became my advocate, and she learned everything that she she could about ADHD, ADD. Um, even went to speech therapy classes with me and learned the techniques to help me. Uh, even when I was outside of speech therapy, you know, there were times when I would get super excited about something, and one of the the, the techniques that 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 they would teach you is to stop breathe and now try to restate your statement and my mom would 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 do that you know um and it it helped me to be able to better form my words and to to show where i really was in like versus where i was placed because of somebody's somebody else's interpretation
0: Wow. And I think and I mean, the reason I wanted everybody to hear that is because I think so many times we write off our kids uh, based on the recommendation of someone else and we lose sight of their true potential. And that is very that's very sad, I think. So for your mom to continue to see you as you were created to be and not based off of the perception Of someone else and not give up on you, dude, that is like pretty, that's pretty big. That's pretty big because it is so easy for us. And it's funny, you know, when I hear, you know, people talk about ADD and all of this other kind of stuff, when I was growing up, you know, ADD was pretty much, oh, he's hard head and he needs a good butt whooping. That's how they handled
1: it. You know, (laughs) growing
0: up, everything was, we hard head and we need a good butt whooping. But for your mom to go out, study Do the research, Mm -hmm. study what it is, and then work with you on that. And then never, ever give up on you and your true potential and your true creativity. And I think that is a lesson that your parents are listening tonight. If you're listening tonight and you have a kid that maybe they're saying something about your kid, do not give up on their true potential and their true abilities based on the perception or expectations of someone else continue to see their greatness
1: for sure. I mean, y'all, I'm going to just, I'm an example. I'm a living example. I was on Ritalin from gosh, third grade till about seventh grade. Um, You know, people didn't know it and that stuff has an effect on a child's body um, that is that the best way that I can put it is those were years of my life that I will never get back because the Ritalin slowed, slowed me down so much till I became numb and oh, wow. kind of disconnected from a lot of what was going on around me. I became emotionless. Emotionless, excuse me. Um, you know, I, I didn't know how to express emotion, um, and it was just based upon the medication it was one of the side effects. And I never forget, I, I have to boast on God here for a moment. I was the first day of school, my middle school year, seventh grade. Um, I was standing in the mirror and I was just praying tears in my eyes. And I was like, God, I just, I'm tired of this. Like, I'm tired of taking this medication. Like I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. I uh, And I remember Hearing and I don't know I'm in the bathroom by myself, but I remember hearing the voice of God very clearly say that you were healed. Um, And from that moment, I took all the pills and flushed them down the toilet. And um, the scariest thing to do was to have that conversation with my mother of why I wasn't taking my medicine anymore. I had to take 15 milligrams of Ritalin three times a day. That's a lot of of medicine for a, a child to be taken. So to, to go out and say, Mom, you know, I'm 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 healed of this. I no longer wanna take this medicine and oh by the way, I, I flushed.
0: Yeah, see, because Trey, that's when I would have kind of like, uh, yeah, now God told you that you are here, but he didn't tell you to <laughs> throw that medicine in the toilet. So since he didn't tell you that, you about to get the butt whipping for doing that, <laughs> doing flushing my money down <laughs> the toilet. So we would have some problems then, you know, we would have some problems. And i was just playing, I'm just playing.
1: But. No, I mean, but seriously, most parents would have. But my mother said, OK, let's try it. She said, okay, let's, let's try it. She said, but the minute that, that your grade slip, we're going to go back and talk to your doctor. From that point forward, grades on point honor roll, student graduated number well, 15 in my class in high school. I mean, did all kind of activities, never missed a beat. You know, um, when it was said in third grade, I was going to be held back. Actually, I was offered the opportunity, uh, my junior year, junior year of high school to graduate early. You know, I mean, God has a way of working things out and working situations out. And um, going through all of those trials from a young age just made me want to be advocate and advocate for children who are just misunderstood. You know, a lot of times parents don't, they don't understand. Like they know a version of their kids but their kids are ever evolving and changing. And sometimes kids don't feel like parents are a safe place. So mentors is mentorship is the best thing because that provides an avenue for children to really open up and be who they are and have a safe place to be uniquely who they are. Um, that that was the greatest thing that um, I think. Understanding from a young age that was my purpose. You know, I had to go through what I had to go through so I can overcome it. So I can walk alongside someone else and be able to help them overcome it and not just tell them about it, but walk the path with them.
0: Right. So let me ask you this here, Trey, because you grew up in a different time than the kids that you're mentoring in. You know, Mm -hmm. now these kids are, you know, everybody has a cell phone. A three-year-old has a cell phone. We're driven by Instagram. We're driven Mm by Facebook and the pressures and stresses of teens now is a little bit different than what um uh, when I grew up in you know mm. basically when I grew up I only had to compare myself to my classmates now teenagers have to compare themselves to the classmates they have to compare themselves to people they see on Instagram or Facebook and then with all of these different uh, things that are going on acceptance and um, you know you know just different things that teens are experiencing today. how did you transition in a to a place where you can create a safe space without having judgment based on things that you're unfamiliar with because a lot of things that our teenagers are experiencing nowadays is new for us. People in their thirties, forties, mm-hmm. so forth—it's new. So, how did you transition in a pl- to a place where you could create a safe space for them to talk without any judgment?
1: So, you you brought up a good point um, about just times being different. Um, I'm on. I'm a millennial, so the next generation. There, there are some big differences, but there are a lot of similarities. You know, no, we didn't have. Instagram and Facebook, but we had music videos, you know, for us, that was the big thing. You know, we, the male figure that was demonstrated in our homes a lot of time, especially for those of us who are from single parent homes or what is what we saw based upon on television, you know, how man is supposed to treat a woman. We saw love on TV you know, so we measured ourselves by by those things. So I always keep that in the back of my mind is that the same deficiencies that we had growing up, these kids have them growing up today. But the enemy has taken it to a, to a, a higher level. Um, one thing that I do as a youth minister and I and I encourage all youth ministers to to do this is sustain stay in, in tune with, with the current times um you cannot minister to a technological world trying to use books and papers and when I say that that was our generation that's how we learned in school you know I mean I I I, I often clown my my youth or, or 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 kids that I see and tell them man y'all y'all got it good in school what's what y'all google and you know Copy and paste stuff all day. We actually had to write stuff and carry books back and forward. You know, Um, so one thing that I always do is understand, one, that evolution happens, that there's going to be changes in generation, but I always keep myself open to learn and to Stay connected to what they're looking at. The most embarrassing situation that I had as a youth pastor was this kid was talking to me about the show called Yo Gabba Gabba, and I was just like, "What? <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about." And I mean, it was a little innocent kid, kitty show, but I wasn't in tune with it, so I couldn't have an educational uh, educated conversation with them about what concerned them. So mm. what I try and do is I, I I listen to a lot of their music. I have an Instagram page. I, I see a lot of what they are seeing. You know, um, I, I, I try to stay into the trends and, and, and everything and use those things that can be vice to the benefit of the kingdom. Um, when I say that, one of the big things that in most churches, um, not not so much now, but early two thousands, it was put your phone away, put your devices away, don't don't use them. I use them to my advantage, especially when Facebook first came out. Um, for instance, I was teaching Vacation Bible School, had that challenging teenage group, that thirteen to about eighteen year old group, who's just burnt out, tired, frustrated with church. And all they wanted to do was be on their device. So what I did was I challenged them and said, "Okay, well, we're going to evangelize through your cell phone. How are we going to do that? We're going to start a group page. And every night, whatever I teach, I need you to go on this page and tell the world what we talked about. Of course, you know, the first night it was one or two, but then I would come back and hype them up. So look, this is the, you know this is what people said. This is this is the feedback that that you got. So I just started using that 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 tool, and then I look up by by Wednesday, my whole class is now posting about, you know, Bible verses or different things that, that we talked about or how they felt about what was said in Vacation Bible School. And now the tool that the church looked at as a as a divisive method is now being used to give God glory. Right. Wow. And, you know, the
0: church, oh my God, the church, the church, the church, they say everything is a distraction. Know oh, what y'all preaching about and talking about in the <laughs> church. That's the distraction for me. So so we got a question for you, Pastor Trey. Yes. Uh, It says, how can we shift the focus of our kids from social
1: media to reality? That is a great question. Um, The way that we do that um, is to help them understand that what they're seeing is not what they think that they're what they think they're seeing. The way that I associate that is when you look at a movie and you see all of these these buildings and all of these these things these really cool 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 effects that happen it's not real they're really not blowing up the building it's a cardboard you know it's just kind of educating them and putting them in situations to where they can really touch and and experience things for themselves right Wow. Okay. You know,
0: and then let me ask you this here, just bouncing off of that, because, you know, in the world today, I mean, I know that God is real and I know the magnitude of God, but in the world today, especially with social media, you see God being minimized to just like a homeboy, you know? And so in that, how do you train kids that, you know, God is still God and he still deserves the reverence that he's, you know, we're supposed to give him. How do you keep them from making God just somebody they call on when they need them or or just, just a homeboy, or a homegirl or whatever? It just seemed like, like I said, in the world today, we have most, it seemed like social media has minimized God so much that it's like people don't even see the need for church and i think that's why churches struggle with trying to get that age group that 18 to 35 year old age group you know and and in some regards i can even understand why uh some of these kids and everybody aren't in church because either god has been painted out to be this god that Everything you do, you're going you're going to hell. Are you going to be punished for? It? There's no grace. There is no love. God is never shown in in ways that um, he should be admired and loved and worshipped. It's always he's this dictator, and if you don't do this, you're going to hell, and he's going to punish you. So wow. Yeah. What what do you think about this whole 18 to 35 year old group that is not? They'd rather go to brunch than go to church, which I can understand because church is still doing the same thing they've always Mm -hmm. done. So what do you think about that 18 to 35 year old group?
1: Well, I will say this, that that all is not lost in that age group because there are still some people who believe and who still have a zeal for God. But I think If I can shift here a a little bit, what's been presented to them of who God is has not been a proper presentation, Um, if if that makes sense. we're, We're struggling with a generation that comes before us who saw God as someone who was almost Hitler-like? Like you can't question God, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that, don't, don't do the other. But then you have a generation that follows my generation who is just free-spirited and uh, you know, feel like they can manifest things. We are we're in a crazy place. The way that you teach them is to is to teach them through the scriptures, to present God the way that He is meant to be. Presented to uh, to help them to understand that not only is he just, but he's loving, and in his justice, there's 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 going to be his wrath. Sometimes, sometimes he's going to punish us, and the punishment is not uh, meant to hurt us; it's meant to grow us. One way that I always teach kids to embrace God is to embrace him as a parent, the same way that that you love your mom. And dad is the same way that, that that you love God. The same way that mom and dad provides is how God is providing even greater resources than what mom and dad can, you know? And I always help, help them to understand it from a relational standpoint. God never intended for religion to be the central focus of the church. When he told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. It was upon his confession. But Peter only was able to make that confession because he was in relationship with Jesus. Um, And so I teach from a place of relationship, understanding that there's nothing that you can do that God is going to turn his back on you. There's nothing that you can do that will uh, help, help you to escape the presence of God. You know, now, will he cause you to wander? Yeah, he might cause you to wander. And it's, it's, it's not, again, it's not to hurt you, but it's to help you to grow and to understand, you know, that he is God, that he is in control, that this life that we live is not ours, that we have to depend upon him. As as As, as we were talking earlier, I also teach balanced Christianity. Um, I, I think a, a big issue for that 18 to 36 generation is that they've been taught by means of be, of seeing people being churchy. And the, the problem with that is churchiness equates to religion and it equates to traditions and it equates to rules that are um, that are not actually attainable. Um, whereas religion says that I can be who God created me to be, and he's going to love me for who he created me to be. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think too, you know, like with the church, and this is one thing I always hate to hear churches and pastors say, you know, they, especially now during cowboy season they be like well if you was at a cowboy season you'll be standing up and you'll be doing all of this other kind of stuff man just preach a good sermon give us a reason to stand up and clap our hands and we may do that it's you have to the church need to and i i was listening to some video the other day and i didn't agree with everything that the god was saying but it's like now the church is trying to compare itself to the world when it should be a leader in the world. There should be no comparison. Everything, the balance of it. I mean, kids and parents now and I, I, I blame not blame, but I think my generation is the generation that is changing the way. Like kids are being raised and everything because of the way we were raised. And we said, I would never ever raise my kid the way my parents raised me because we mm-hmm. were always in church. We couldn't do anything. Uh, my uh, my youngest sister, her and her husband, they co-pastor the church that my father pastored. And now when I look at them, I'm I'm just amazed at them because I never forget growing up. My mom and my dad, a lot of the stuff that we were active in school with, they missed because they had to go to church. You know, they did allow us to go and do it. But a lot of the stuff they didn't get a chance to do because they mm-hmm. they just felt like, hey, this is church and some stuff we couldn't do. I ain't going to lie on that. Some stuff we couldn't do. But when I look at my youngest sister now. Her and her husband will miss church let their co-pastor preach to go to one of their kids out of town basketball game. Anytime they're doing stuff, they are there to support them. And I just like appreciate that because they see the balance of ministry and understand that God gave them these kids. They need to support them. They need to bring out the best of them and see the best in them and support the best of them so i really really respect that whole balance thing and i think that's where a lot of people miss in the church they just think that it's no balance Mm -hmm. but we got another another question for you do you teach from a curriculum other than the bible if so where do you find the material that relate to different age groups that's a really good question Mm -hmm.
1: That's a great question. Um, I'm a little bit radical when it comes to the way that I approach ministry. Um, I don't necessarily, okay, I'm going to be truthful. There are things that are written, but it's not necessarily written for our kids um, that our kids definitely might identify with. So I tend to use um, real life. Um, what's going on? So, um, what's going on in the world? What's going on on the news? What's going on on, on, on social media? And then I'll build lessons upon that. For instance, um, T.I. had this really popular song a, a few years ago um, y- y- You Can Have Whatever You Like, you know? And some of my kids came in to, to Bible study singing it. I mean, they were jamming out to it. And um, I had heard the song. And I understood what he was saying, but they never understood what he was saying. So when I started, you know, explaining, you know, what he's saying is basically that if you prostitute yourself to me, you can have whatever you like. Like, if you give me your body, I'll pay your bills and I'll do all of this. And so their eyes just lit up like what? That's what it's saying? Yeah. I mean. As leaders, when it comes to kids, you cannot be afraid to tackle the tough situations. And those exactly. are not always in the in material that's written. There's always an answer in the Bible, but there's sometimes that you have to take the Bible and make it applicable to where the children are today.
0: Oh, wow. That's amazing. And definitely want to give a shout out to Erica McCautry. Her and I we she lives in I think Greenville, North Carolina or South Carolina now, but thank you for checking it out. We went to high school together and this girl was she's always been devoted to the Lord all that time. So Erica, thank you for checking this out. And Pastor Trey, that is like, you know, amazing. So like, are you going to tackle Beyoncé's church
1: girl? <laughs> yes, eventually we're going to deconstruct that. <laughs> I mean, Oh my God! Listen, the, the enemy is it's you. Got to understand, um, and, and this is this isn't stuff that's taught in church anymore. Who was the enemy? He was he he was a skilled musician, so music is what he uses to get to us, and it's the same old attacks over and over again that we keep falling for. He keeps sending his messages through music. But the church doesn't address it. We try to shut it down. But shutting it down is not addressing the issue that's at hand. You know, we're taught to get to, to guard our ear gates and our eye gates. Yeah, we, we have to guard them. But if I don't know what my enemy looks like, how do I know what to guard against? Absolutely. Wow,
0: and you know, and and I and I joked around about the whole Beyonce church girl thing because I I've listened to the song and I've heard some of the lyrics, and when I heard the song and I think you know from what I interpret is a girl that goes to church and she's doing some unconventional things or what can be considered as unconventional, but she at the end of the day she's trying to make it, so she's just doing her you know, her hustle to make mm-hmm. it. And I think that's where a lot of times people in the church go wrong. We place judgment on people because they're doing things and wearing shoes. We just took off. We just took them same shoes off and maybe we want to strip it in the club, but we could have been selling drugs or we were sleeping around mm-hmm. with people uh that we were in a relationship with getting money from them to pay our bills. So We just took these shoes off that these people are wearing. So you can't be judgmental to these people because that's what turns them away from God. Because you are not extending the same grace that God extended to you because you're still here. He could have took you out while you were in the midst of doing what you were doing. But he extended grace. So extend grace to these people doesn't mean that you're condoning it, but you just loving them where they are and helping them to get where they are going to be. And that's what I think a lot of people in the church miss.
1: Oh. Dogs. Of course, um one thing that 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 aggravates me. One one thing that aggravates me is when I hear holiness associated with a way that a person looks versus the way that a person acts. I don't care about what you come to church in. I don't care because the church in, its, in itself is us. It's not the building that we congregate in. It's us. We're, we're the church. So if somebody comes to the building and they don't have dress clothes or they what you deem as unacceptable is what they're coming in, who are, am I to say that that person is not holy? Holiness has to do with, with the heart. And it has to do with the intentions and the mind of the person. It doesn't have to do with the appearance. And some might say, well, the Bible talks about being modest, but my stance is this with that. If all they have is all they have, then all they have shouldn't keep them from coming to the man who can give them more.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean and half the you know, half the time, and I always joke about this here and I, I may joke too much about church folks, but half the time, especially we mad cause we can't wear that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we mad because we can't wear it, and women mad because their husbands want them to wear it, and they can't. So if she, if she can go brawless and you can't, you know, because your nipples hang down to your navel, say that ain't her problem. She hers is perfect. Give up bras. Hey, girl, you're doing that thing. No, I'm just playing sister, but yeah. Wow. Okay, so tell us a little bit. So when you got into mentoring and everything, and you and I, we talked a little bit about you becoming a Mason. Yes. So you did do that whole... So tell us a little bit about that experience.
1: (coughs) So I became... A mason at the age of eighteen, which is in some places unheard of, because you got to be twenty-one usually. Um, but my the re- whole reason why I went into masonry is because I thought it would fill a void that I wasn't getting from the church. Um, I wanted to do more in my community. I I I saw a need um, that needed to be met, but I didn't know how to do this Do it. By myself, so I, I aligned myself with a group of brothers who was doing what what I felt like needed to be done in the community, and um, the reason being is mainly because my 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 church wasn't. My church was great at in reach, they were horrible at outreach. Um, You know, if somebody in the church needed something, they were on top of it. But to actually go out into the community and feed the homeless and to to have reading programs for, you know, the urban kids in the community, you know, to 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 be doing stuff on that caliber. They just weren't doing it. Um, And I don't know if it was because they, they weren't at that level of faith or if they didn't have qualified people or whatever it was, but the, the Masons drew me because they were doing that stuff. They were going out, they were feeding the homeless. You know, they were going read to kids at the Boys and Girls Club, you know. But for me, as a Mason, it also was feeling a void of what I was missing at home. My mother was a single mother, and she's watching, by the way, um, so hey, mama. She, <laughs> she she did an amazing job, I think, with 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 raising me and sacrificing and all of that. And as much as she could teach me about being a man, she did. But there's just some things that a man has to teach a boy about being a man. So the void that I was missing from my father is what I was getting from from this group of men that I associated myself with. Now, some of you might not think that's a bad thing, but when you are on a path of walking with God, you cannot serve God and, and you can't serve men. Um, Masonry, I, I had to, I got to a point in my masonry career walk, whatever you want to call it that, I was told that I needed to make a choice between my ministry and the organization. For me, it was clear. You can have this because yes, y'all met this need at this time, but I, but I've also outgrown where you can take me 2 you're not going to cause me my salvation. That's more important than anything else. Um, God has the ability to be our our, our earthly father and and to teach us those things that we need to know and and, and to to fill those gaps. But sometimes we do need that earthly presence. But when that earthly presence goes against the spirit, you got to disassociate yourself with it. So, you know, I had to formally disassociate myself um and of course my brothers thought I was crazy cuz I was 2 months from being a worshipful master of my mm. lodge I was 26 27 at the time going to be the youngest worshipful master um but for me if my work didn't glorify God then it then it didn't matter yeah and then it's you nice. just
0: said something that is so important. Churches are good with in-reach, but not outreach. I mean, I think that's so powerful. And it's kind of like, uh, and I'm just going to use race and racial groups and everything. It's like one race group, we're good with ourselves because we're comfortable. But when we go into another area where it's a different ethnic group, we are mm-hmm. unfamiliar with it, where we become uncomfortable with it because we feel vulnerable because most times we are not equipped to deal with it. And I think that is what's going on with the church. I think so many times the church, we know how to talk to the people that we see every Mm -hmm. Sunday. We know how to talk to them. You know, we know them, but when it comes to going outside of those four walls and reaching people that look different than us, that dress different than us, that think different than us, we feel at a disadvantage when it's really an opportunity for both of us to grow as we walk sure. the people we're reaching outside the door as well as the people inside the door and until we get out of those four walls that we've built and we have, we hold ourselves hostage in every sunday and get out there in those streets, and really minister to people, and really express the love of God. I, I don't think Jesus went to a church building every Sunday, and he reached millions, so still reaching you know, millions, and millions, and millions. So why do we have to stay in those four walls? Why do we have to limit ourselves, and why do we have to be
1: afraid of what is different or unfamiliar to us? Um, It's just the nature of man. Unfortunately, it's the nature of man. We, <laughs> the best way to put it is that we've allowed ourselves to become our own God, and right, what's right has been made right in our own sight instead of in, in the sight of God. Um, and that's very toxic because the bible tells us that christ didn't come to save those who were already saved he came to save those who were lost so if i'm if every sunday morning i'm preaching to the same people who are already saved who already know God and the pardon of their sins what am i doing for, what am i doing My job is to go out and save those who are lost. And the lost don't look like me. The lost, they don't act like me. They might come in smelling like alcohol. You know, they they might come in high. You know, their their two-step might not be like my two-step, you know? Um, But our job as believers, whether we're young or old, is to love people into the salvation of Christ. Salvation is a gift, but... If it's, if it's not presented right, I don't care what's in that box. We don't want it because the box might be beat up. It might be disheveled. But however that package is presented, it, it, it makes it attractive to us. So when we as believers are presenting this, <laughs> the ability to come to know Christ in this broken box, in something that is dented, it's just not attractive to the world. It's not attractive to our kids, you know. But when, when when we move out of our own way and just love people into salvation, accept them for who they are, not their sin, accept them for who they are um, and love them for where they are is when they will see the love of Christ in us and desire to get that gift of salvation that we have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, you said something, you know, I think people think acceptance means you got the, like, you're just saying, well, what you're doing, I agree with it. No, it doesn't mean no. that. You're accepting that these are flawed people just like you. Flawed exactly. people. And that allows you to extend grace. And that is just. I'm, I'm very big on that. That's something I tell people every day. That's something I even do for myself every day when I make mistakes. I have to constantly extend myself grace and, and say, you're not perfect. You're not always going to yes. do what's right. You extend and don't beat yourself up. And you have to extend that type of grace to people that are different than you and and respect that they're not where you are. And, and the funny thing is, you're not where someone else is. Someone else could look at you and say, hey, you got a little bit more work to do. You know, exactly. you got a little bit more work to do. So we just, like I said, you always got to extend grace because that same grace is grace you're going to need as well. So I That's saw sweet. earlier that uh, Keisha Bradford Davis, thank you for watching. She said she's watching it with her 21 year old daughter tonight, which I think is phenomenal. So what would you hey. say to a 21 year old that is watching tonight, about God, like how would you what would you say about God? Like to help them see God as beautiful as you see God? What would you say to them?
1: First thing that I will say is simply John 3:16: that God so so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. That God loves you regardless of the mistakes, that you made, that there's nothing that is imperfect about you, that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of an amazing God. And every time you look in the mirror, you are looking at a reflection of God's love shown through you every time you open your mouth you are hearing the voice of god coming through you every time you you take a breath you are breathing the breath of god that was breathed into you at the at the time of creation i mean i i know it seems like a fairy tale about this god that we serve because he's untouchable but his presence is in everything it's in the air that we breathe it's it's in the even in the discourse the 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 how nature is responding, how it can rain on one street and be sunny on, on another. That's That has nothing to do with science. It has everything to do with the power of God. He's in control of everything. And the type, that's the type of God who wants to love you from now until eternity. And even if you question in your mind, Why would I love this guy that I can't see, that I can't always touch? He's always there. The Bible tells us that he's an ever-present help. And I would rather serve him and not be sure of his existence than rather not serve him. He really exists when it's my time to die.
0: Wow. 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 And I love how you say you are a reflection of him, you know, and if people could just see themselves. And I know sometimes it is so hard to see ourselves the way God created us, you know, way he sees us, you know, because even in spite of everything that we do wrong or that we perceive wrong or that we're told wrong, God still see us as the person that he created to, us to be because he knows where we're going. He sees where we are, but he also knows where we're going to be. And if we could just look in the mirror and look past the flaws and see his reflection and what. And I I mean, Mary J. song. if you look in my eyes and see what I see, sometimes I I mean, I think God is telling us that if you Mm -hmm. look through my eyes and see what I see, when Mm -hmm. I look at you, you would probably perceive yourself so different. And we got another question here. So let's see, what steps do you take as a mentor? I mean, what steps do you take to mentor a child you have seen abused, that's really good, or neglected and given up on any form of God? So
1: yeah, what do you do about that? So mentoring, understand what, what a mentor is. A mentor is not meant to be a friend. It, it It's meant to be somebody who takes one person from one journey one part of their journey to the next. And a mentor leads by example. If you mention God to them one time and they don't accept him, that's okay. Because you're planting the the seed. The Bible tells us that one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase, right? As a mentor, it's my job to present him. If they push back, okay then I'm still going to lead by the example and the love that I'm trying to express through my words. If I say God is loving, then I'm going to mentor from a place of being loving. You know, I'm going to try and make sure that that child's needs are met in whatever way, you know. And when they say thank you, my response would be, you know, it's not me, it's God. That might be taken, you know, well, I don't know about this guy. I think that's okay because you're still planting that seed and you're planting it gently. You never want to force God on anybody. It's a choice, you know? And when I mentor, I mentor from a place of it's a choice. I love him. I would love for you to love him as much as I do, but it's my job to still be the example and to to still mentor from, from, from a place of love and showing ch- Christian love to them.
0: Wow. we got another question for you, Pastor Trey. When mentoring a teen with issues, depending on the issue, do you bring the parent in as
1: well? Yes, depending upon the issue. However, there's always a clause. Whenever I'm dealing with a child, I always have an open door policy. I tell them, you can tell me anything. And I mean that you can tell me ex- anything that you feel like you need t- to tell me. But if you're telling me that you're going to kill yourself, kill somebody else, that you're pregnant or that you're going to do something crazy like blow up a school, I have to tell your parents, you know, I because as a mentor, people don't understand that you can be held liable by law because you knew what was going on. You know, you're an accessory to what's going on because they told it to you, but to to gain that child's trust you let them know that they can talk to you but these are the four things that that i that i i'm obligated to let somebody know that you're going through
0: yeah wow hold on you on fire tonight man we got another question (laughs) what should or should not i mean should not be a oh who should or should not be a youth mentor (laughs) Oh, they going, they cutting folks tonight.
1: Ooh, okay. So y'all are, yeah, okay. All right. People who hate kids—that's who shouldn't be a mentor. Well, yes, definitely. But listen, everybody who who enjoys children—they're not called to children. That's the key. There's people who love kids who are teachers, but they hate. Being, kid, being around kids that's not their calling necessarily but then there's some of us who are called and who kids are connected to. Y'all, the craziest things happen to me. I will be in Target, minding my own business. And it's like I'm the Pied Piper or something. Kids are following me. They're waving at me. Hey, mister. I mean, it's the strangest thing. But it's it's my calling. And not only is it my calling that I answer, but they see it. And if you're not called to it, then don't touch it. Because then the, their blood will be on your hands. Mm.
0: And 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 on the last podcast we had Dr. Arthur Fields and someone asked him how did he narrow down, um, you know the area of uh, therapy that he did, and he said it's it, you do what you love that doesn't make you feel exhausted. And I think exactly. that's, that applies with being a mentor with kids. Like, I couldn't be a mentor with kids. I love kids. I have like 30 nieces and nephews for real. But, and I love them to death, but I don't think I could just be around them all the time, invest all the time they probably would want yeah. me to do. So I don't need to be a mentor. I don't need exactly. to be a mentor. But, because it, it would drain me. It would make me tired. But when you love and you're called to do something, you don't feel that exhausted. Mm-hmm. feeling. You know, you just find ways to work through what you're feeling at the moment. So I think that is so, so good. Oh, they said Pastor Trey kid's magnet. Aww. She ain't lying.
1: <laughs> she, <laughs> she, man, listen, I'm like, hey, I'm a big, burly black man. These little kids following me, you know, people be like, hey, who this? Wait, what's going on? You know, so <laughs> it's, it's the innocence there, but, and it's It's enjoyable, but you know, you still got to kind of, you know, walk that fine line, but yeah, man, it doesn't matter where I go. Church, store, mall, games. I mean, kids, they come and hold in-depth conversations with me. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. It's it's the funniest thing.
0: And Pastor Trey, I definitely want to talk about um, uh, something before we get out of here. You said, I think you were living in San Antonio and God shared with you, hey, you're supposed to move to Dallas. And you went to your wife. You guys didn't have anything lined up or something like that. And you went to her and you shared with her what God shared with you. How was following that calling and following God's plan for you to just pack up and move from one location to move to another? You don't have anything worked out. You just know this is what you're supposed to do. How, How did you manage that?
1: Okay, so the instance that that you're talking about was, um, I want to say 2015. Um, I had already moved to Dallas, was working in youth ministry in Dallas, was a children's pastor, pastoring 120 little ones, staff of, of 20. You know, I had uh, a bit of influence, you know, in the city and could get things done when needed to. However, however. God tells me in this dream that I keep having to go back to my hometown of Louisiana um, and host this citywide YouTube revival. So I'm like, God, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. But I I don't have money to go back home to, to rent a church, to pay a musician, you know, to to supply everything that's that's needed to do this. And God kept telling me, he kept putting it on my heart till it was mornings, like four o'clock in the morning, I would wake up crying and like, God, how am I supposed to get this done? I I hear what you're telling me and I want to be obedient, but my flesh is fighting me because I just don't see how I'm going to get this done. So um, interesting enough, as I went to my wife and was like, babe, listen, this is what God is telling me. Um, and it pays to have the right wife and it pays to have a wife who is in tune to god as much as you are um she was like i already knew she's like i already knew god had you on assignment for something i didn't know what it was but she was like you were just different like you you were just acting different so um you know i went to her and told her hey this god god is telling me to go back to do this children's revival, you know, babe, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. I don't know, you know, how it's going to get done. Um, and she she was like, babe, if, if God is telling you, do it, do it. Go, go, go for it. I'll, I'll support you. And so with her support, my mom's support, I did it. And I started to, to reach out back home to other churches and say, hey, you know, this is what God is is leading me to do. When I was met with so much adversity. You know, first things out of preachers' mouths was it's not going to work. The kids are not going to come. You know, they're not interested. And it was disheartening, disheartening to me because it sounded as if they had given up on their the children that God was sending me to minister to. Um one of the conversations that was had with with one of the preachers was well, why do you feel like you need to come here and 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 do this? Why can't you do that in Dallas? And you know, in a moment because
0: you're not doing it in Louisiana, that's why I got to come to Louisiana. That's what I was in the moment.
1: I had to stop. And pray because my my snapback was coming up real like the you know the flesh was about to rise up, <laughs> but it's in that moment that I heard God say to tell him because I told y'all to do it and y'all won't do it, so I have to send somebody else to be obedient and do what I'm telling them to do. So long story short, um, the first year. Wasn't the greatest, you know, you, you got to get the momentum up and going. Second year was amazing. But one thing that I shared with John was that I, I, I told, I, not necessarily I told God, but I, I, I had a conversation with God that I didn't want to just go back and have a revival. We have enough of those where people just come into town, have revival and, leave, and the spiritual needs of people are met, but the physical needs are not met. So I was like, God, I don't want to come in and just do another worship service. I don't want to come in and just do another night of worship. How can I meet the need of the people? And so God laid it on my heart to, to feed the homeless people in the city. So now I got to go back to my wife and say, babe, not only am I supposed to have this event, now I have to, to feed these homeless people, and um, you know, God sent some people to sow into it, but for the most part, my, my my wife and I had to sacrifice, um, and save and put the money up to be able to do what God willing us to, or telling me to do the second year of the revival. Um, I just kind of went out on faith and tried to get some corporate. Spot- Sponsorships, sponsorships, and was able to be sponsored by a corporation. And every family that came through the door of the church was blessed with a meal to go home and cook f- for their families. You know, to wow. me, that's what ministry is about—not just feeding the soul, but meeting the physical need of the people as well. Wow! And it is is as
0: cup is so many nuggets and so many lessons in what you just said because that it it impacts, like you said, your wife, it impacted your mom and and all of these, because when you are married or you are um, tied to someone that is a dreamer or a visionary, Mm -hmm. it requires special people to support them and just not discourage them, but support them. And it's not always easy to support because sometimes it requires you to give a little bit of yourself, but- When you support, God will make the provision and he will bless not only the people, but he will bless your house. So people out there that is married or dating someone that is a dreamer or visionary, support them and just trust the process and know God is going to bless you. So, uh, Pastor Trey, we got one final question for you, and I'm assuming this person may be watching um, Dahmer on uh, Netflix, Jeffrey Dahmer. So they have a question for you. And it says, do you do background checks when you employ staff that work with you in youth ministry?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is imperative. Um, Because people will come to church with their representative and you never know who is standing before your children. And as the youth pastor, as I told you, the pastor's job is to shepherd. You have your senior pastor who shepherds the entire congregation, but then anybody in your church that has the word pastor associated with their name, it is their job to make sure that the sheep that, that are following them are, ta- are taken care of. So that means anybody that's going to stay, including me, I had to take one, I have to take one every year. Um, just to make sure, you know, that's nothing on my background. There's nothing there, but if I'm going to ask other people to do it, I'm going to do it as well, but it is imperative and it is not to judge anybody, but I I don't want any pedophiles standing before our kids. I don't want to ever put the kids in the situation. So where I'm leaving them with somebody that can potentially hurt them. And I didn't know, and I wasn't, aware because you are held liable as the leader of that ministry. If something happens t- to that child. Exactly.
0: Wow. Pastor Trey, this has been phenomenal having you on here, man. And I am like excited that you decided to come on here tonight and just tremendously blessed by your presence, man, and excited First for your future, dude, excited for your future. And I just, you know, my prayers is with you and everything that God is going to do for you, man. I'm just excited for you.
1: Thank you, brother.
0: Yes, sir. So, but before we go here, Pastor Trey, we got a couple of little games because we're giving away some free shirts tonight. Okay. So we're going to ask the our little uh, our audience a couple of questions and see if they can win a shirt. So I know on the video, we said we're going to give a small, medium, or large or whatever. So we, we decided that maybe that's not the best thing. So we're going to let you pick your size. So if it's up to extra large, we'll say up to extra large. So when we ask these questions, if you get the answer right, uh, hey, you're going to get a free shirt mailing and shipping all included so hey here go the first question who was the first guest on the podcast and what was the subject matter let's see if they know i know we waiting y'all They going back and looking in the history of the podcast. <laughs> the cheating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who was it? Who was it? I give no, better you better get this a- right. It's an open book, right? I this give is- you an answer. His
0: initials is JC, and not Jesus Christ. Okay, so Pat says she missed the first one, so she's admitting it. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. They said, I know y'all know the answer. Okay. They said, I said it earlier. Okay. Okay. I'll give y'all another hint. It was dealing with breakups and we just y'all can just tell us who it was. So, the topic of that was how to bounce back after a breakup. That's what we talked about. And it was a relationship coach. So, I just gave y'all a lot of detail right there. JC was their name. They are a podcast, uh, podcaster as well, of the cognac room. Jay Christian, Tracy Rucker. You got it. You got it. Jay Christian, that's his name. Okay. So let's go to the next question. Here we got three questions here. So the next question is, uh, let me go back here. What song did John, Monte and Corey all sing together? They sung a line of the same song on the music night, the first music night we had. Let's see what we got. Y'all, everybody know this song. Give you a hint. It's a worship song. Another hint, so we don't wait too long. Lamar Campbell recorded the song. Last hint, this is probably the only worship song y'all know in full. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah, so let's see who, What we got here I just gave y'all a lot of hints too. I just pretty much showed y'all what the song was They going back You would have to listen to the podcast Y'all don't have it Okay, we're gonna give y'all 10 more seconds on that one So again, the song is by Lamar Campbell um it's the vamp of the song that they sung um it's a worship song most worship leaders transition into this song on their worship on sunday morning more than anything patricia brown yes that is it that you got a shirt coming your way okay and our last question is uh oh this is a good one What type of woman did Omar say he wouldn't date? And Yolanda Hargrove, if you don't get this. What type of woman did Omar say he wouldn't date? And with kids. Hey, Latoya, you got it. So we had this guy on here. He has three boys and he said he would not date a woman with kids. So how are you not going to date a woman with kids and you got kids? So yeah, there you go, Latoya. You got a shirt. So before we go here tonight, it's a couple of people that have helped me out and I would not be successful with this podcast if it were not for them. So I definitely want to thank Tammy Henry. She works the comments and the chat on Mondays for me. I am forever in your debt. So thank you so much. And then two other people, Willie Henry and Carlos Harlow. I've so many ideas by them on a weekly basis. And Tammy, Willie, and Carlos, they all helped me through Uh, with coming up with ideals and so forth. And I saw Dr. Jonathan Adams out there tonight. He was a guest on here before. And thank everybody throughout this season who have come and supported us. And we will be back the first Monday in December. We're off the rest of this month and the entire month of November. But when I tell you, if you thought season one was great, Season two is going to blow your mind because we have already started lining up guests for that season. And I am so excited about this uh, podcast and everything that is coming up. So Latoya, Tracy, and Pat, if you all can text me, you all have my number, your size of the shirt. I would get those out to you this week. And Pastor Trey, again, thank you so much for being here tonight, my brother.
1: Thank you for having me, and I enjoyed it so much.
0: Yes, sir, and you already know we talked about this last night. This is not our purpose. This podcast is not our purpose. It is the reason why we met. So many great things are coming from this uh, brotherhood that has been formed. And the first thing is going to be we're going to go eat, man. We're going to go eat some gumbo. Since you're from New Orleans. (laughs) Talk about the cowboys. Yeah. So everybody else, we will see you the first Monday in December. Have a great night and Thanksgiving and look forward to seeing you in a month. Peace.